I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. hope you are all well witches. I'm afraid we don't have a book review again on today's episode. I've chosen some real doozies book-wise recently. I was around 150 pages into the book A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness when I wanted to just yeet it out the window. Dark Academia and Witches should be my absolute thing and all I found that we did was get stuck in a scene in Oxford University Library, which in itself is an absolute dream. I would love to be stuck in a library at Oxford University. However, this book made it the most boring experience ever. I like the first series of the TV show of A Discovery of Witches. I didn't get into series two so much. So I thought I'd really like the book. Sorry for anyone who loved it. I just couldn't deal with it. I didn't get into it at all. Life is too short to read books that you're not enjoying is my personal take on it. Our podcast today is all about fabulous folklore and I am joined by the wonderful I.C. Sedgwick who hosts a podcast of the same name which I absolutely love and I was a big fan of her podcast, I still am, before I even started my own. Definitely worth a listen. Me and my daughter used to listen to this podcast together when she was a little bit younger. Her podcast is brilliant. She has a great sense of humour it just comes through on the podcast itself so yes please do give her a listen I was trying not to fangirl a little bit and kind of forgot that we've never spoken before because I've listened to her so much before we get into that I just want to let you know about a few things happening over on Patreon the Witches Institute Our book for August in the Literary Witches Coven is The Change by Kirsten Miller. Our meeting for that is the second Tuesday in September. So September 12th, if you did want to join in and read along with us. I have just posted a meditation all about meeting and healing with your ancestors. And on the same theme, we also have our coven gathering over on Zoom on Thursday, 31st August, with a discussion between all our witches in respect of ancestral witchcraft, exploring all aspects of ancestor work. It is just £6 a month to join. You can cancel at any time. There is a link in the show notes and I look forward to hopefully seeing you there. But for now, join me after the break to talk all about fabulous 
folklore. I am here with I.C. Sedgwick, host of the fabulous Folklore podcast, investigating the strange and often bizarre world of European folklore with a focus on the British Isles. She is particularly fascinated by the appearance of folklore in popular culture, but also the ways in which folklore preserves information in an easily transmissible format. In case she tires of all that folklore research, Former Ghost Hunter IC also writes gothic horror fiction while studying for a PhD looking at the representation of haunted houses in contemporary Hollywood cinema. And she is also the author of the amazing, beautiful book that is soon to come out in September called Rebel Folklore, empowering tales of spirits, witches and other misfits from Anansi to Baba Yaga. The longest intro, but I see I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, it's so cool <laughs> being here after I've been listening to you for so long. Yeah, I haven't spoken to you before, but I've been listening to Icy's truly fabulous folklore podcast since before I even started a podcast. So it's very exciting for me. <laughs> it's like probably sort of mutual fangirling at this point, I think. <laughs> Genuinely, I'm just like, I haven't spoke to you before, but I really feel like I have. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really excited to get into this with you. I'm so impressed by your book. Honestly, Icy's book is absolutely stunning. A collection of so many different folklore tales from across the globe honestly like the balls that I see has had to get into these tales because genuinely she has gone all over the world and it's just stunning the information is um just I can't stop reading it it sits on my desk I've been flicking through it but the illustrations also so congratulations um it's it's wonderful I'm just really glad that you like it. And I'm sure Melissa will be really pleased to see how much you like the illustrations as well. Uh, honestly, absolutely beautiful. It's so different. It's just got wonderful colours, really bold, beautiful books. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those books that I want to keep on my desk or like a coffee table or something, because you just want to keep picking it up and like coming to different pages. But I've got a very, very, cause very important question for you, because this is a word that gets banded around a lot. And actually, from reading your book there were so many different insights that you gave so my first question to you is I see can you give us some insight into what folklore truly is it it is one of those words that gets thrown around um quite a lot and I think lots of people do seem to have lots of different definitions but I think the way that I sort of tend to look at it is if you kind of think of all those sort of stories and like practices and knowledge that regular people have so not sort of the people who necessarily write history but just people like you and me who then pass that information on and obviously this would have been primarily in like a pre well definitely a pre-social media age but do you know what I mean it's kind of like it's often passed on orally 
and it can encompass such a wide range of things. It obviously folk music plays a part in it. You've got things like family traditions that people have. And like every family will have that weird little thing that like just they do. Um, yeah. I consider, yeah, immediately everyone will think, oh, yes, I know exactly what that is. Um, and I think everybody will have that one thing that then becomes part of their personal folklore. But then if you think about a lot of towns and places will have like a set custom of, of like some places have like village fates for set days and other things kind of have like something to commemorate an event that had something to do with that place, those kind of customs. Um, some places in the UK, for example, still do well dressing and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, that's all part of folklore. You've got the local tales, you know, the kind of thing where like people will tell each other like, oh, don't go to that particular place at night or you'll see insert name of ghost here um, and things like that. And even things like popular sayings and stuff, like the example I give in the book is the Red Sky at Night, Shepherd's Delight, Red Sky in the Morning, Shepherd's Warning or Sailors, whichever one you want. Um, And the the funny thing about folklore is it's not necessarily true. It doesn't necessarily have to actually... I don't want to say not necessarily grounded in fact, but because obviously some of the things absolutely are, but it's more a way of preserving what people find important enough to want to pass on. Um, and I think a lot of it helps to provide that feeling of control in quite an unpredictable world, which is where you've got like the death omens and you've got like quite a lot of love divination as well, like how you could find out who you were going to end up with and things like that. So I think that there's quite a lot to folklore, which also makes you feel like if you do this particular practice, then you will keep yourself safe. And it might not necessarily look that logical, but if you felt safer as a result, then is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, And then, of course, you've got the cautionary tales, which are a bit like an ancestor of the public information film of the 70s, where it's basically (laughs) like, don't do this, don't go there, that's dangerous, put that down, that kind of thing as well. I love it because you just kind of imagine like, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, you'd have this succession of different little things you'd had to do to kind of not be cursed for this not to happen. It'd just be exhausting. <laughs> well, it wouldn't. I think you look at some of the folklore, you just kind of go like, where would you start? Like, what is the sort of, like, obviously me being me sort of wanting to turn it into a process. It's like, what's step one in all of this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Honestly, I've, um, there's so many things that I've kind of chortled out that I've read when, because I, I see you've got some brilliant resources off the from the podcast. Even I've kind of quoted things that you've had on your um on your website because you go really deep on the research. I've always known that. And um some of the things that I've kind of read and also the way you talk about it on the podcast is wonderful because you've got a very dry sense of humor. You can just you can just pick it up like you're thinking, no one knows why we did that, but but we did, you know. Um <laughs> I always remember this, I think for me, like with um, little traditional things such as this from a kid, you know, I remember when um, we were in Cornwall, so my grandparents lived there and it was always little things like crush the eggshells so the witches can't make their boats. And it was just like, as a kid, you're like, oh, I used to think it was true. And, you know, it's just such like an imagination <laughs> and wonder to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I think they as well, there's always a tiny part of me that obviously is like really like super logical and like, yes, this is what people believe. Or at least this is what people recorded anyway. And obviously you've got to bear in mind like the bias of the people who recorded it. But then there's a part of my brain going, but what if it is true? Yeah. 
please let me be true for certain things <laughs> absolutely no for certain things absolutely and I also love like what you say about um so uh, another aspect of the podcast as well is you know there's always different variations on for example uh like I don't know like with the with the green man and things like that there's always different variations from different villages and things like that especially in the British Isles and I, and I love that as well how they've all got their own little take on it and they've survived you know so yeah always catches my my imagination with those you know little customs and so on mm-hmm. it's a good this is kind of leads me on to the next question really why do you feel the call to keep these tales customs alive and how do you think these stories and someone can help us in the modern day I think I kind of got into keeping them alive by accident which is kind of how <laughs> I do most things it's like my my general life motto is well it seemed like a good idea at the time and <laughs> um what I really liked because it was way back when Folklore Thursday first started on Twitter uh, in like <laughs> 2015 2016 whenever it was and I really liked the sense of community that people were like turning up at a particular time and sharing something that everybody had an interest in. And mm. I think that was because I'd I'd inadvertently been interested in folklore since I was like 10 and I got my first collection of Northumbrian folktales. Um, so I think it was only kind of natural that when I was like, oh, wow, this thing has a name and all these other people like it as well, that, you know, I was going to want to do more with it. But I think the more I got into it and the more I sort of realised, actually, yes, it, you absolutely can use folklore for somewhat nefarious reasons. You can use it to support really unpleasant agendas. But at the same time, people can also take something um, valuable out of it. And I actually asked on Twitter once, like, what brought you to folklore? And the answers fell into like six main categories. But two of the things that I noticed really stood out for me was people felt that when they visited somewhere new Mm. they like to look at the folklore to like give them an idea of what that place was like um and it helped them like root themselves in it a bit better so sometimes people would do that because they'd moved sometimes it was just they were visiting and they wanted to know more about where they were and it kind of gave them a better connection to that sense of place and then the other thing that was really common was people sitting with a parent or a grandparent or other family figure and being told the stories and it being like very much like a family bonding moment and obviously I'm using family in that sense of also including chosen family as well so it could obviously just be someone you've designated that particular role and I think it's it was it was kind of that sort of sense of connection whether that was with the place where you were or with other people was one of the things that I think led me to continue doing it because I know I've noticed that now when I go somewhere it's like oh can I find any folk tales can I look for any legends? Like, what am I engaging with when I'm mm. here? Um, you know, so I'm not just wandering around going like, oh, isn't this picturesque? Oh, and this look nice on Instagram. And now I'm like, it looked nice on Instagram. And there's an absolutely badass story that goes with it. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why I like, I like to try and keep this stuff alive. And I think part of it is also because of those reasons why other people come to it. And also, folklore does preserve history, including the bits that you want to forget. And I think that's really important. So like, for example, when I was doing Rebel Folklore and I was looking at a figure like a Nancy, I have to realise coming at this amazing figure from West Africa who is then is transplanted to America, you have to take into account, well, why he was transplanted. So what were the horrific circumstances behind that? And why did he then go on to become such an important figure in 
southern america in particular so you have to engage with that context and that then obviously forces a different level of interaction for me as a white author than it would for someone else yeah. um, which i think is really useful for then um sort of keeping those kind of contexts in mind and stuff so i think that goes in some way to answering how the stories can be helpful in in modern life because they can help you remember the context or just simply engage with it in a different kind of way um but i think that it also still has that sense of um helping people to connect to one another where they are and then of course when you realize how many of the stories are really similar even though they're from completely different continents i think that also Mm -hmm. helps you to go actually there's like a sense of shared humanity there that you know it's it 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 kind of gives that nice point of um common ground for quite a lot of people as well absolutely and i think you kind of in doing the work that we do and and you know i think you end up especially for me with like my witchy practice as well you end up stumbling across folklore in lots of different avenues within the craft as well so if you're a witch who's got a particular interest in ancestral veneration ancestral magic you end up stumbling upon folklore maybe linked to your family or your heritage and things like things like that um you might be a witch that works with spirits you end up stumbling across folklore there you might work with plants you know consider yourself a hedge witch and so on and you stumble across um you know folk magic and there's so many different offshoots that I find myself down a rabbit hole that's linked to different forms of folklore and customs and so on I'm I'm like I'm back here again but yeah it's it's kind of unavoidable I think at some points if if you are practicing the craft in my experience. Yeah and I think as well the idea of ancestor veneration is really interesting even if you look at it from like a genealogical point of view and mm-hmm. you you realize quite how much people used to move around back in the day and mm-hmm. like i mean across both my parents i've got irish scottish and welsh ancestry and not even that far back um because of the fact that people used to move around and people just ended up in the northeast of england for whatever reason um mm-hmm. a lot of them went off and became like merchant mariners and so on cuz obviously we have a port and it's it's really sort of interesting from that point of view to then go and look at those places folklore again and then sort of think oh well I wonder what they would have engaged with what would their practices have been and yeah. so on and I think yeah definitely from a witchcraft point of view sometimes you look back at all this stuff and then you look at like all like the really big books from the 70s and go hmm, hmm what are yeah. you actually basing this on <laughs> and, um, so it is quite interesting to sort of, there are quite a lot of um witchy practitioners now who are rooting what they're doing in that sense of like a folk tradition which is really cool because then that keeps the folklore alive as well but in like Mm -hmm. a lived sense rather than just like this academic book or like in a podcast format it's like here's how you can actually use this stuff which is really cool absolutely I love what you said about with the ancestor side of things as well because again it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's somebody that you're linked to by blood it might be you know a caregiver you identify with their culture their background also that's a big sort of thing we've been looking at in um Patreon and so on with the ancestral mm. connections um but yeah it is absolutely fascinating and, and like you say it can even extend down to things like recipes that are passed on that have got their own little folklore to them and you know there's so many different stances on it I happen to be 
really obsessed with you know going down these rabbit holes and fortunate enough to get to do it for work as well um I wanted to ask you uh -huh, because there are so many very rebellious characters in this book which I adore so out of all the rebellious characters you researched and wrote about you went all over the world who did you have a particular fondness of and why oh god that's like saying who's your favorite child um <laughs> who's your I favorite mean, child I'm saying. <laughs> yeah it, it's really hard because like some of them like I, I mean I, I mean I absolutely love selkies I think they're awesome I love the banshee mm -hmm. I think she's awesome and there's yeah. just so many really brilliant characters um but I think because my interests usually end up tending towards like death customs and so on because I'm it, obviously it's the one thing that we really do all have in common Mm. And so I think like I'd come across Anku before um, when I'd looked at him on on my podcast. But yeah. then I discovered the the Korean psychopomp, the Jo Sung Saja. And I think he was probably the one that fascinated me the most because I love the fact that his design is based on like a civil servant. And I just, <laughs> there's just something about that where I thought, oh, my God, I love how practical that is <laughs> and how like efficient it is. And I think because there are like psychopomps in literally every culture and they take so many different forms, be it like animals, birds, gods, you know, and, and all these other figures as well. And mm -hmm. like death, to be fair, is nearly always my favourite character in any pop culture. And yes. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I mean, I think I can't quite decide if I prefer Terry Pratchett's in Discworld or Neil Gaiman's in Sandman. They're kind of neck and neck at the moment. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the... <laughs> The Jo Sung Saja, because he's just so neutral, for want of a better word. And I think I love because the thing is, when I always feel like when you think about like the process of what happens to a person when they leave the mortal plane, as it were, that must be quite a terrifying experience. And to me, I always feel like it would be quite confusing. So mm. in my head, it feels a bit like imagine you get to Charles de Gaulle Airport, which is one of the most confusing places I've ever been. And you, you come out into arrivals and you're like, oh, my God, where do I go? What do I do? What's happening? Ah. And then there's somebody standing there like, with a sign with your name on it. You'd be like, oh, thank God. You know, so to me, that's kind of like psychopomps are there to kind of like make sure that you get where you need to go and you don't wander off into the queue for the wrong thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a great analogy. Like, yeah, and it's just like it kind of makes them sound a bit more functional than I think they actually are but I think at the same time there's something like weirdly comforting that you've gone through that experience and then you're like oh someone who knows that someone's expecting me thank god for that and so I think you know this idea and also I think I suppose the ones who actually come for you at that point that you go I quite like the idea that you're not actually on your own um mm -hmm. Mm. You're going you're going through this intensely personal experience, but you've got company. And I sort of feel like with the George Young Sarger in particular, because he's just so functional, he kind of turns up and he does his job and in quite a in, as I say, like a neutral way. I've I would find that incredibly reassuring that someone just knew what was going on. <laughs> with a civil servant mentality as well like you know if they're from that background you just I just feel reassured instantly <laughs> yeah you're like yeah so so this is organized man someone knows what's you know what you're doing on. yeah <laughs> absolutely I love that honestly <laughs> the analogy though of, of when you step into the afterlife kind of got me as well 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think as I say, like because I've been to some fairly confusing places in my time, but Charles de Gaulle Airport by far is is probably the worst. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this would be horrible if you were just kind of wandering around, like don't know where I'm going, don't know what's happening. <laughs> it's like the driving equivalent of Croydon, just horror story. Honestly, that that's all I can kind of link that to. <laughs> Thankfully, I've only ever done Croydon on the train because then there's like one oh. way in and one way out and it's a bit more straightforward. If there is a hell, it is like driving around Croydon without a sat-nav. Even with a sat-nav, <laughs> impossible, genuinely. Um, <laughs> coming back to the folklore. So, obviously, as a folklorist, I know that you wisely adhere to some of the kind of, tra- you know, traditional customs and so on. I know you've got a few. I read that you have a horseshoe over your door. Do you observe any other customs or, you know, rituals of a spiritual nature in your day-to-day life? I, it was funny because I had to think about this one and I thought, like, the most obvious one that sprang to me, I, d- I do do that counting magpies thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and obviously, like, partly, whenever I see a magpie, it's quite funny. Obviously, with that also being, like, the mascot of the football team as well, there is kind of like a, hey, man, whenever you see them. But... Um, and there's loads of them in my area. Like there's literally a pair of them visit my garden nearly every day. So you're always kind of like, sweet, there's two of them. And yeah. <laughs> um it's uh and I I don't know what I'm expecting to do with the number, but I still feel compelled <laughs> to count them whenever I see them. Um I remember when I was little, you know, when you did that thing where you never stepped on a crack in the pavement. Yeah, yeah. Did no idea why, just used to do that um the other one that i started doing because i inherited this was first footing which is the the sort of northern and scottish practice of, mm. and i think other i think they do in parts of ireland as well um of like where you sort of go out the back of your house and then come in the front sort of to see you leave on the 31st of december and then come back in on the first of january oh, yes yeah yeah i've heard of that yes yeah i, I inherited that one a few years ago because my my dad used to do it when I was little and then he got to the point of like this is pointless why we're still doing this and I was like no no we can't just not do it though like <laughs> what's wrong with you so we then used to turf my brother out and make him do it now technically he shouldn't because David's a redhead and you're not actually supposed to let redheads do it um <laughs> I suspect that from probably from the days of if you suddenly had a redhead man appearing at your door he was probably a viking so I think that's <laughs> probably the prejudice against against redheads there and then uh, there was one year David was ill and he was like, well, I'm not doing it. And I was like, well, fine then, I will. And I think because I used to do it when I lived in London as well, because I was like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The only one to do it. Um, And I was like, I know you're not supposed to do it if you're a woman, but I don't care. I don't want to not do it just in case. Um, Yes. And I felt awful because in the year 2019 going into 2020, I completely and utterly got it wrong from start to finish. 
because I was um at somebody's flat, like um it was my then partner's parents, and we ended up kind of going out and come back in too many times and it just all went horribly wrong. And then when you saw what happened in 2020, it's like <laughs> that was not my fault. It was that uh, one evening that's yeah, it went to part, honestly. <laughs> it's funny. <Yeah. laughs> I love that though because it's true you know I guess the red-haired aspect of they've got to be a viking do you love a redhead but yeah I mean if you ever met my brother <laughs> he's like the that. most like my brother's the most easy going laid back like friendly approachable person he's like the least viking kind of redhead that you could come across um oh, but, I love uh, it. The, the other one that I do which I must admit I don't think I'm the only one who does that but I think the reason why I do it is possibly different and that's it's a, it's a well-known thing if you're a Geordie that you don't feel like you're home until you've crossed back over the Tyne again oh and I've heard that yes so yes. you've got like that beautiful view on the train coming over the high level and you've got all the bridges and you're like oh I'm home now like I'm back on proper soil again and uh, and I always sort of wave at the time whenever I come back over it's a, it's a bit more difficult if I'm coming down from Edinburgh because at no point do I, do I cross the river but it doesn't really matter um but I think part of it for me it's not just like waving because it's like I'm I'm back on on home soil again it's also I think from that more animist point of view of like the river Tyne itself um yeah. and and sort of saying hello because I've got a thing about like befriending rivers so um personally like the Tyne probably because I'm biased is again quite welcoming so I always kind of like to wave and be like I'm back <laughs> whenever I, I sort of come over the Tyne so that's that's not necessarily folklore per se it's just something that that I I, I do and it, as far as I know it's worked out quite well so far <laughs> but it'll probably still be recorded as a custom in the future you know in the future it will always kind of go down in history as one of those little nuances that people liked to do I guess um I know um it's funny because I kind of when I was thinking about this question I was like do I have any things that I do and I guess the only thing when it came to moving house I didn't bring my broom with me little things like that and yeah you know like and I was like oh I actually do have some things and I, was, I remember my mum was like really because you know she was helping me pack up and I was like I was like no it's bad luck I'm not bringing it um not your best thing or anything like that just you know your common all kind of you know sweeping up room yeah but I remember my dad said to me and I was kind of talking to him about Beltane and I remember he said oh I remember my my grandma going berserk at me so I brought in I think it was he brought in Hawthorne and she went absolutely mental because obviously all the superstition <laughs> around that and I yeah. thought that's crazy because that wasn't even I mean my dad's not that old it wasn't it wasn't that long ago and yet these these traditions were still you know these superstitions were still very much there so I think if we really strip out our lives and look at things we do you know there are lots of little superstitions not stepping on free um oh my goodness drains and things like that and I can't remember what it is now but you know walking under ladders and so on if we really if we really were to sort of think about what we do throughout the day and so on we'd be surprised at how many little things that we do actually observe you know the magpie thing and so on I was gonna ask you um so you are very creative honestly like you're always I know you're always on the go with doing the podcast you've written other books I wanted to ask you because I feel like sometimes we've we've had some conversations about this on the podcast about this is my friend Shannon's words for it 
a wisp. So you just get this little source of inspiration in any kind of way that it comes to you. Can you give any insight into your sources of inspiration? And I don't know, like any tips for budding creatives? Um, I think I know what you mean about the idea of a wisp because I always sort of say that like ideas for me kind of almost like drop into my head, like they just appear from nowhere. Mm. And you've and I, I know um Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it in Big Magic about the idea that like the ideas are just kind of like floating around looking for a home and then like yes, if, yes. you know and, and and if if you're open then you know they'll be ah oh, you'll do and yeah so, yeah so I think my <laughs> yeah. first tip is always write that down you will not remember it I guarantee you won't and I know the Beatles used to do this thing where they never wrote their songs down while they were performing like whether they practice in a jamming and stuff because they trusted that if it was a good song, they would remember it, which kind of makes sense because you obviously want to, like, you know, keep the memorable ones or, like, something mm. that becomes an earworm. But I think when it comes to, like, a snippet of, like, an idea that might become an art project or a story or something like that, like, I'd even do this with my PhD. I'll suddenly go, oh, my God, that's how those two films work together. And if I don't write that down, I'm not remembering it. It's just not happening. So... I have to force myself to write. And sometimes you write things down and just be like, I literally don't know what that was. At one time, I literally just wrote down remember, which was super helpful. Um, (laughs) God knows what I was supposed to be remembering, but whatever it was, it was important enough that I just needed to actually remember something. Um, And sometimes I'll like doodle something if it's easier to draw what I mean, which doesn't always make sense a few months later. But so I would say always write down like those things that drop into your head and I think the other thing and this might just be the way my brain's wired but I've always been quite a fan of the question what if Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not like in a regretful like oh what if kind of sense because I mean we've all done that kind of rumination um I mean more just like you know you might look at a piece of folklore for example and you then sort of like ask the what if like well what what would lead to that um and you know what's behind that and then what's behind that and so on and I think um like as an example I had read a piece of folklore about Charterhouse Square in London and the 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 plague pit that's under it and that apparently when the Charterhouse school was there the boys and you can absolutely imagine this happening used to dare each other to actually like press their ear against the cobbles to hear the screams of the people who were buried alive and like proper gothic school kid stuff and I think anyone who was at school in like the eighties or nineties would be like, yeah, that that absolutely would probably mm-hmm. still happen. <laughs> um, but and then I kind of went like, well, what if someone did hear something? And uh, and then I ended up writing just like a short story about that. And it's just taken like a little bit of of something that you've read. And this is why I'd also recommend just like consuming information, be that through podcasts, watching videos, reading books, whatever works best for you. Uh, visiting museums is a good one. I sometimes get ideas in art galleries. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's literally asking the question, what if? So what if that was true? What if that actually happened? What if they, you insert this thing into that? And, you know, sometimes you can take like a bit of folklore and go, well, what if somebody still did that? Um, mm-hmm. How, how mm-hmm. might that look? It's so funny. I, I find as well kind of taking myself off to do things that are not my usual cup of tea. Like my my mum took me along to this thing at the theatre and I was a bit like, oh, you know, went along and just 
had all these ideas that came out of it that you know weren't plagiarized or using anything from from this it was just little aspects in regards to some writing I was doing and it's just so funny where you get the inspiration from it's like this week I as a gothic writer I'm sure you appreciate I hope well I wonder Mary Shelley I watched her film this week oh my goodness there was just like just so many aspects to it and so inspiring and you know I I just I think you're right you know just a combination of films and 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 podcasts and like looking at arts and all manner of things can really like set you off but yeah I, I'm so glad you answered that question because I I'm very curious because you you put out a lot and it's amazing stuff my gothic heart definitely appreciates it <laughs> I think actually thinking about it as well that's the other thing I would I would sort of say as well follow your curiosity um mm. I mean, my mum has got a family saying so this is a little bit of our family folklore because this came from my gran originally and my, my gran used to say this about my mum and she now says it about me that you what was it you wanted to know the far end of a fart and which way the wind blew it <laughs> and um like proper Geordie saying for you and giving me grandmas from Baker, you know what I mean? It kind of, you know, really yeah, sort of embedded in the landscape there. But <laughs> it's just the idea of like being I mean, I've got a Scorpio Midheaven, so I'm kind of bound to dig into stuff more than I probably should. But I think yeah. it is that sense of like just being curious. And if you're curious about something, um it, who cares if it's cool or trendy or people think that you're weird, like as long as it's legal um yeah. then it's not going to hurt anyone then by all means so you know, if you get really curious about like I don't know Victorian dolls and it's really worrying that that's where my brain went for that because they terrify me but if that's like if you're like oh I'm really fascinated by them go and learn about them go and see them like and you'll never know what will pop out of that um mm. I got really really interested in plants when I started doing all the flower folklore because I'd always liked plants but like an abstract oh they make the garden look nice kind of way and then the more I started looking into the folklore, the more I'm now very appreciative of the ones that like randomly pop up in my garden because I didn't plant them. Um, mm, like, yes, yeah. Thanks to the local bird population, but <laughs> it it gives like a, a, a again that sort of like thing to pursue of well, why did people believe these things about this plant? What 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 can I do with that creatively and things like that? So I think it, it's very much like a be open to ideas, but also be open to pursuing stuff that like really you know thing when an idea like gets under your skin and you're like, oh, I want to learn everything about that, unless maybe that's just me, I don't know. Um, then I think that's that's also because a it'll just enrich your life anyway, and b it'll be such a brilliant seam of inspiration that you can then mine whenever you get stuck. It's so right what you say, because sometimes you can't explain why you've got a real interest in it. And then you follow that wisp and you're like, oh, my God, I'm doing this now. You know, yeah. it just it, it, I find you're, you know, I'll get an obsession with something. and I have no idea what it is. And actually, usually it's those interests that are so random. And I used to try to rationalize why am I interested in this what's the point and now I just go with it because I've sort of learned over the years that it, it does actually take me somewhere it might not be where I thought it was it might be somewhere totally different or I might meet someone or join something you know there's always something at the end of it um but yeah I think you're right you have got just just got to go with it and explore that interest but yeah the rabbit holes are always worth going down I think 100 percent <laughs> definitely absolutely this is a purely indulgent question because 
I know you are an ex-ghost hunter and witches and ghosts seem to go together like two peas in a pod. So can I ask you, Icy, what were some of your scariest experiences, most memorable places that you found fascinating? And obviously I know you're studying all about haunted houses as well, but from the Hollywood aspect of it, what are you happy to share with us on that front? See, this is the thing, like, I'll talk about ghosts all the live long day. Um, there's something <laughs> I've been there's something I've been interested in since I was a child. Um, there was one incident where my mom actually had to take a book of ghost stories off me because of the fact I couldn't sleep after reading them. And it's funny, like horror films do not bother me in the slightest, but reading them, oh my god, you know, mm-hmm. all better off. Mm-hmm. Um and I was always quite precocious as well. And I think I was possibly reading ghost stories that were kind of aimed at like adults and I wasn't an adult at the time. So it was kind <laughs> of, but, uh, I mean, nothing was ever as traumatic as the animals of Father Wood. But anyway, the ghost stories got taken oh, off. It. Honestly, that's traumatised me yeah. for life. I couldn't watch it. Honestly, I was just, oh, the, the childhood depression after watching that yeah. was real, honestly. <laughs> um really yeah I, I just love to share share that one with people but anyway in case anyone <laughs> managed to repress it it's like you're welcome um but now in terms of I, I, <laughs> I don't remember having any experiences that I would label as scary um mm. I've been in some what are supposed to be quite scary locations and I've always been really disappointed that like nothing's happened ideally to someone else not to me obviously <laughs> um I'd rather observe but I've like, I mean, I've been in the, the Mackenzie tomb like twice. Um, and well, the one that they say is the Mackenzie tomb. Um, I've been in the Southbridge vaults a few times. And the most I've had there is like, um, you know, something tugging on my coat when I've been standing away from everybody else and it's not caught on anything, but it's like a really, really like clear, someone's grabbed it and like a, a child's grabbed it and tugged sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't find that pain particularly scary i'm more kind of like why do the kids always come to me like that's just <laughs> weird um because I'm, I'm not necessarily like a hugely maternal person yeah scary ghost children that really surprised me i'm like <laughs> um i mean there was one time actually we were in uh it was on one of the old ricky tours and we were in the old what used to originally be used as a, a, a wiccan temple i think it was until they had to move um and I've read some of the stories about some of the things that went on in that temple before they moved and it's like there is something in there which is really really unpleasant and Mm. the guide was like constantly drawing everyone's attention to like the center of the circle and like and I'm sort of standing there like and you know when you just know someone's staring at you Mm. and there was Mm -hmm. that sensation coming from like the opposite corner from where he was pointing and I'm like why are you all bothered about what's over there there's clearly something over there and I couldn't explain why I was so convinced that there was something in the corner because it was just a corner of a room. Uh, and I didn't know about any of the the back history of this at that point. It was only later when I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, that was totally the room I was in. Oh, okay. Um, and it's more been just like lots of little weird experiences rather than like one massive epic one that you'd, you know, you'd go on uncanny or something with. Yeah. I remember, um, which is annoying because I'd absolutely love to have something like that happen. But then, as I say, everything seems a little bit more. It almost becomes part of like just the background, like tapestry of life rather than incidents. So for me, it's like when people go, oh, do you believe in ghosts? I'm like, well, I can't not um, mm, because yeah. of all this, because of the stuff that's happened. So, I mean, I've had things like 
Um, and it's always more sensation based rather than evidence based. So it's quite easy for people to just poo poo whatever I've said. But I'm just like, well, you can poo poo if you want. That's your that's your right. Um, but I mean, I had um, I was in John Knox's house, for example, again in Edinburgh. And I got this really distinct feeling that someone was like had both hands on my shoulders and was like pushing downwards. Oh. And I just kind of went, hey, no touching because I'm quite bullshit with ghosts. And, you um, have to, don't you? In a way, you have to be firm with them. Because I used to work on a lot of psychic things. I work, you know, I did a lot of psychic. Um, not as a psychic myself, but I actually worked with a psychic for a little while. And you do have to kind of tell them and be yeah. firm and set your boundaries, don't you? Yeah, and whatever this was, clearly didn't like getting told off because then there was this <laughs> almighty bang on the wood paneling right next to me that wasn't just like wood settling. It was like a proper someone like fist thumping oh I'm having a tantrum and I was kind of like when you finished it's <laughs> like 11 years of teaching has taught us something and um and then I had um oh god I went to the Foundling Museum in London which is a fascinating place really sad but fascinating place to visit and I'd gone all the way up onto the top floor where there was like an exhibition about Handel and Hogarth like two of the people who helped to fund it and I could hear there were some people who brought some kids in. And I thought, like, given people used to, like, leave their children at the Foundling Hospital, it was a weird place to then take your kids as, like, a, a day out sort of thing. But I thought, mm. you know, whatever, you know. And and I remember I was walking down the stairs and I just got this image in my mind of this, like, woman in... I'm, I'm not sure what era it would be, but, you know, like when you say the old-fashioned nursing outfits, like a proper matron yeah. figure standing on the land and kind of like glaring at them like who would bring a child in here and I was kind of like she clearly had no interest in me and I mentioned it on my podcast once and somebody actually left a comment saying oh my god I had a really similar experience and I but she actually saw someone and I was like oh I wonder if there actually is still a a, a matron knocking about um patrolling yeah. the building um so that was quite cool to have that one sort of corroborated um and then, I mean, there was a time, oh, the funniest one, and this was quite amusing. I was at Kielder Castle. I say castle, it's basically like more like a hunting lodge um, <laughs> up up by Kielder Reservoir. And we'd been doing a ghost hunt up there and like nothing had been happening really. It was really quite a, 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 a quiet, we saw some bats in the attic, which was cool, but there wasn't really much activity going on. And we're in one of the downstairs rooms and there was these like three women using the Ouija board, having a, a, a conversation with, um, like a a child that they'd lost or something, and I'm a little bit skeptical about Ouija boards at the best of times for various mm. reasons. But you know they they're quite useful to use on a ghost hunt because you know even mm. if someone's having a conversation with themselves, it's still quite therapeutic for them. Yeah, and, yeah. And then like you kind of got like you could sense the the energy in the room shifted a little bit, and it was kind of like oh hello who's this then? So I kind of and I I wasn't touching the board, and neither was the team leader just these women who we'd never met before that particular um, ghost hunt. And I'd sort of said, like, oh, is there anyone in the room who'd like to sort of pass on a message and went to hello? And I thought, oh, well, that's nice, you know, because sometimes they just go straight to spelling things out. But to start with hello and goodbye, I always think is really polite. Good manners. <laughs> Good manners in a ghost is what one would want, yes. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and then we sort of said, like, oh, like, um, who's the message for? And it spelled out my real name because Icy is like my pen name. And it, and, mm -hmm. and the people on the board were like, who is this? And it was like, never mind, just keep going. And like, because the team leader who knew my real name was looking at me like, okay, this is a bit yeah. weird. And, um, and I sort of said like, oh, who is it? 
And it started to spell out GR. So I was like, oh, it's not one of my grandparents because they did never lower themselves to use a Ouija board. (laughs) (laughs) um, But instead it spelled out grey as in the colour, but it was also (laughs) the name of one of my characters as well. And the book hadn't even come out yet. So it's not like somebody could have, you know, gone, oh, let's freak her out. It's like like nobody, I think the book was about five months away from publication at that point. So spell out the character's name. And they were like, why is that a colour? And I'm like, let's just go with it. And I'm sort of like, stop asking questions. Just like, and I was like, oh, what what message have you got then for this person that you spell mm-hmm. out? Obviously not wanting to let on that it was me. Um, and it spelled out, thank you. And it was like, you're welcome. <gasps> what for? And then it spelled out life. And I was like, um, I'm not quite sure what to do with that piece of it information and uh, before I could do or say anything else it kind of went to goodbye and then you could feel the energy kind of shift but it was a bit like oh my god like who is my character real are they actually like a ghost and it honestly it led to some really really weird questions and again at no point was it scary at no point was I like I was freaked out a little bit but I wasn't scared it was more like oh that's interesting (laughs) what is the they're like wisp spirits, perhaps the spirits of real people that were around or just some form of spirit that sinks into your head and then you create this character. Now I'm wondering about my my stuff that I write. I see. <laughs> like, oh no, where did you come from? That's that's fascinating, genuinely. Like I there's something in that, definitely. It how, was, how amazing. I think the fact that because the only two people who knew me and anything about me weren't touching the board and that was such a yeah. random collection of words for them to be spelling out. And I'm always very careful that when people are spelling things out on a Ouija board, I don't then say the word out loud mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. fact that you don't want to like influence them. So Because this is the thing, like some of the Ouija board conversations I've seen people having, it's like because somebody's like almost finishing the person's sentence off oh my god I find that annoying as one of the living so that must be really annoying as <laughs> one of the dead um and again you, you don't want to influence people um unduly so it's kind of you know they, they were sort of like there's no reason why they would have put that collection of words in that order and they were completely baffled like what on earth had just happened and it was like I can't even begin it describe that to you <laughs> and, uh, so that was definitely memorable it certainly wasn't scary it was just weird I used to do a lot of work with like psychics not in a psychic form just I was offshoot stuff from it and I used to just genuinely I was I'm I'm kind of that person that if I get a reading I'm very very skeptic and say nothing and give nothing away and and you know I'm I, and I've even left uh I've kind of gone like into reading and left because I'm like thank you so much but this isn't for me like this is nothing related to me can we like stop here because obviously I'm you know I've sort of worked with people that do it and um I just am always surprised at how much people kind of give away when you're because sometimes there'd be incidents where I'd be sat there and I'm watching them having the reading and so on and I can literally see by body language and also things that they're saying and they're almost giving them information as well and you know not saying that um the ones that I work with were frauds or anything you know they they weren't necessarily the best people that I'd ever seen with that talent but yeah, some people really gave things away. And like you say, same with the Ouija board as well. I think you just got to be stum and see what comes through. Yeah, very interesting. I wanted to ask you, this is, again, 
another self-serving question no I don't <laughs> think it is because I know we do a lot of we talk a lot on the podcast about books we review books and so on so can I ask you as a horror writer what are some of your faves that you would be happy to recommend I'm kind of putting you on the spot here but just curious oh I think the if you're into ghost stories um, the one that I just recommend to everybody as standard is Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. So, like, not any of... Well, I mean, the film adaptation from 1963 is excellent, but not the Netflix one. Like, the original novel mm. is really good. Um, I'm trying to think the last time I read one that I could... Because the trouble is, what I tend to find with a lot of horror is people either go down the route of it being, like, really gory, and then I'm like, oh, I'm just bored now. Um, yeah. Or they go down the route of like, oh, because I remember one book I actually had to uh, give, like sort of actually return to Amazon and I never do that. But it was just the the route that he went down. It was just like, no, that's just ick. Um, so I'm trying to think what I've what I've read recently that I would be like or that I can remember. I mean, obviously, like I do think the classics are kind of classics for a reason. So the likes of Frankenstein and so on. But then I think there are so many other voices um in horror and gothic horror and so on now that I sort of think that you know you can sort of diversify away from just like MR James um and mm. so on. I just I can't necessarily think of any off the top of my head. Um because a lot of the time like Sorry. I was gonna say like I because of the fact I spend so much time looking at all this kind of stuff. Like a lot of the time I sort of really enjoy reading like historical crime thrillers and stuff like that is kind of like a palate cleanser. So yeah uh, <laughs> No, I know what you mean. So I always find I'm like always reading so much witch stuff. I need some escapism at times and I have to read something completely random. I was, I remember when I was a kid, my mum and dad watched, it must have been the 70s, late 70s, late 70s, early 80s version of The Woman in Black. And I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had to hold hands to go to the toilet because they were so terrified. <laughs> I must admit, after like, watching the film and I had to read it as a kid I remember thinking I've got to get this book that's it because I knew I wasn't going to get a licking on it was you know on the video it would have been video then and um that book was yeah pretty terrifying and uh the, that version of the film pretty terrifying also <laughs> well the funny thing is I've actually seen it at the theatre twice as well and I must admit the second time was hilarious because there was a bunch of teenagers down in the stalls and literally every time she appears on screen this one girl had the best <laughs> like fair race style scream and she'd just <laughs> let that out and like everybody in the audience would then jump more because she'd screamed rather than because <laughs> you'd actually seen the woman in black but it really did kind of like they really get the tension in the in the play, um, to the extent where like you you know the bit on the causeway with the dog, like where yes. you think oh my god the dog's going to get lost in the mud and you get worried about an invisible dog it's ridiculous like they don't have a dog on stage but you get worried about its welfare anyway like that's how good it is, um so I, I would say that uh, that is definitely one that works like in any format really. I saw that at the theatre and dogs over humans all day long. So I was the same. I was more worried about the dog. dog, Absolutely. Always. (laughs) Oh, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. I've laughed so much, honestly. And if you love Icy's Dry Humour, you will love her podcast because it's just there's so much of it in there. Thank you so much for coming on. Icy, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about when the book's coming out? where we can find you 
Um, oh, I mean, I'm on pretty much every social media platform, just as AC Sedgwick, because I'm really uh, original like that. Um, <laughs> I'm even on Mastodon, and I'm not quite sure why. And then um, everything, <laughs> like, uh, if you're look, actually looking for the podcast itself, it's just Fabulous Folklore will get you there, and it's on all major platforms, and also YouTube as well. So if you don't actually use a podcast player, you can still subscribe and listen to it through YouTube as well, which is quite cool. Um, and then um if you're interested in rebel folklore that comes out on the 7th of september it is available for pre-order and i know i'm pretty sure it's on amazon but i know that um sort of dk are working quite closely with bookshop.org because obviously with them supporting independent bookshops it kind of fits in really nicely with the the rebel theme um of the book and kind of you know like sticking it to the man as it were so using bookshop rather than like bezos is obviously a nice idea (laughs) Um, And I think it is also going to be available in Waterstones as well in the UK. So that's quite cool as well. I will absolutely talk about the book on the podcast on a book review close to when it's coming out. Also, it is absolutely beautiful. It is like no other book that I've seen for ages. I love it. I'm really so proud of you. Well done. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on IC. Absolutely loved it. It's been my absolute pleasure. (laughs) 